The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. Uh, for those who haven't met me, uh, my name is Anoj, um, and it's a privilege to uh, lead us in exploring God's Word um, as we look at the book of Ephesians this morning. And I want to start by um, getting in our business a little bit um, and asking us how our New Year's resolutions are going. It's usually probably about this point of, the, uh, of, of January that we start to, to feel it shake a little bit and the wheels start to get rocky. And uh, if you're anything like a, a mere mortal like I am, this point in time is where the New Year's resolutions sometimes fall apart. Sometimes you'll realize in, when you're trying to do these things that you're trying to find this motivation, right? You're trying to find this desire deep within to, to keep going, to pursue those goals or to, to, to get to the place that you want to be. And it's, it's, you're looking deep within to find it and sometimes that well just runs out. Well, in the Christian life, if you're trying to live the Christian life, sometimes when you look in deep within, you find that you, you too don't have the strength. In fact, I would say it's impossible to live the Christian life if you're trying to live it in your own strength. We need help. And this morning, we're going to unpack Ephesians chapter 3, um, which is in the middle of the book of Ephesians or towards the middle. Um, and we're looking in this series called Live the Life. And what we're doing, what we'll see this morning is Paul's going to pray a prayer for strength to live the Christian life. Uh, now, by way of a recap, uh, if, you, if you haven't been with us, the first two chapters uh, is really about God's story, as the, uh, the slide, or maybe the slide won't show. Uh, it's really about God's story. Um, and what I mean by that is about what God has done, how He has rescued His people, how he's, He has rescued people who were once alienated from Him um, and brought them back into relationship with Himself. Or in the words of Kevin Hovey, as you remember, the two summary words are few and Wow, that was great, Kevin. I love that uh, when I was watching this morning. If you weren't here last week, you'll have to check out the YouTube video. Um, two words to summarize what he's saying. Few or relief that we were once alienated from God, we were separated, but now because of great God's love and mercy and uh, kindness, we've been brought into relationship with him. And wow, because that just stirs adoration uh, for who our God is. Um, so that's the first two chapters, but then chapters four through to six is going to be about you could say our story. How do we live the Christian life? And Paul's going to unpack um, different areas of what it means to be faithful to Christ and how we live. So he's going to look at things like um, how we relate to one another in the body of Christ, how we uh, live lives that are pure and, and with integrity, uh, how families should relate to one another and how we ought to fight uh, the temptations and the, the uh, attacks of the enemy. Uh, and sandwiched in between these two is chapter three. Um, and particularly at the end of chapter three is a prayer that Paul prays uh, for the church uh, in Ephesus and um, something that we can learn a lot from. And I want to suggest to us this morning that this part is, is almost like a connector. Um, the prayer really relies on what he said before as a, as a firm foundation, um, and he's praying for, for the ability to do what is gonna, he's going to unpack in the second half of the book. So in chapter 3, uh, which is what we're looking at, we get to, uh, probably it's something that's really interesting in itself, because if you've read it this week, you'll notice that he, he starts a thought in verse 1, 
Um, and then he goes on what you could call this holy and glorious sidebar where he goes back and rehashes some stuff that he started to develop in chapter 2 before coming back to his prayer in uh, verse 14. Um, and I know some of our prayers are like that too. We too go on, go on holy and glorious sidebars sometimes. We start praying and then think about what we're having for lunch or the, the chores that we need to do. And then we come back. Well, I hope we come back. Um, I assure you Paul's sidebar is much more glorious. But this morning we're going to come back to verse 14. And we're going to pick up this prayer. And he's not actually praying it um, as a prayer, but he's telling the church in Ephesus how he prays. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to chapter 3. We're reading verses 14 to 21. Uh, but we're actually just going to focus in particularly on verses 14 to 17 this morning. So this is what the Word of the Lord says. It says, For, the, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power by his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So the three things we're going to unpack this morning, firstly, is the substance. What is Paul actually praying for? What does he say that he, he prays for the church in Ephesus and what can we learn from that? We're then going to look at the confidence to pray that prayer. What is it that can give us the confidence to pray a similar prayer for ourselves and for each other? And then finally, we're going to look at the goal. What's the, the ultimate end? What is Paul uh, praying that God will do uh, in the lives and in the hearts of the people in Ephesus? So we're looking at the substance, the confidence, and the goal. Let me pray, and then we'll get into it this morning. Father, we thank you that your word is living. Lord, we thank you that, uh, as your word says about itself, that though the grass withers and the flowers fade, your word endures forever. So Father, we pray that as we unpack this text, Lord, would you bring to life uh, in our hearts your words? We pray that your spirit will illuminate our hearts, Lord, and that we will be challenged where we need to be challenged, but encouraged and uplifted where we need to be encouraged and uplifted. Uh, help me to be faithful as well uh, in what I say in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing we're looking at is the substance. What is it that Paul actually prays for? Well, we get the answer to that in the middle of verse 16, where Paul prays for the church to be strengthened with power. Right? And he says, he prays that God will strengthen them with power by his spirit in their inner being. Now, what Paul is asking for is spiritual power. He's not necessarily asking for power to do miraculous signs or wonders or great and, uh, things outside. He's praying for um, power in the inner being, in the heart, in the place where uh, we have our desires flow from, we have our actions flow from. He's praying for spiritual strength there. He's praying that the church, the people of God, will grow to be strong, stable, mature believers. And we know this because of where he asked for the prayer to be, uh, for the strength to come into their inner being by God's Spirit. In essence, Paul is praying that the believers will be empowered to live the Christian life and be, live lives that are obedient to him, to say no to the desires of the flesh 
and say yes to the things of Christ, to hold tightly to him in the midst of trials and difficulties rather than letting it overcome us and wash us away. He's praying that we would have the strength to resist the temptations of the enemy of the world and of the sin that remains within us and remain steadfast and faithful to Christ. And I want to ask to focus on a particular phrase in this verse. Look what it says in verse 16. It says, Paul prays that he, that is God, would strengthen you, the, the church in Ephesus. And that's probably one of the most important phrases in this verse because what it's emphasizing is who is doing the work. Right? Our translation hints at it, but um, as I was reading and studying, a lot of the uh, original sort of language talks about it being in the passive voice, which means that the person or the people are receiving this from God. It's not them doing the work. In other words, it means that the, the strength to live lives that are obedient and faithful to Christ doesn't come from looking deep within. It doesn't come from mustering some kind of deep-seated power that exists in itself. It comes from outside us. It comes from God. He's the one doing the work. It's by His Spirit, by His power, that we can then live lives that are faithful to God. And Paul has reminded us in chapter, way back in chapter 1 that that power is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He describes it as incomparably great power. And he's praying that that power enables us to live lives of obedience. I've got a, a friend that I, I went to high school with, and um, I'm not really close to him, but I see him on social media. He's, he's a bit of an entrepreneur now, if I said that right. Um, and he did this video about New Year's resolutions, right, as, as I started with this morning. And he was asked the question, what do you think about it? And he says, oh, I hate it. I hate New Year's resolutions. Why do you need a new year to motivate yourself? Why don't you just find the strength within and just do it, whether it's December or June or January? And that really sums up the attitude of our world, doesn't it? Look inward, rely on yourself, conquer from within, find the strength from within, find that place deep within inside, inside you to motivate you, to strengthen you, to enable you to overcome all obstacles. But church, if you've lived the Christian life for even a minute, you know that that's just not sustainable. That doesn't work in the long run. There is no self-made power to overcome sin. We need help, and Paul is recognizing that. And he's praying that the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, God will empower, that He would fill us with strength, to fill the, God's people with strength to then live lives that are faithful and honoring to Him. And church, that's an amazing reality for us this morning. I wonder if you can think of a time, or maybe you know someone, maybe it's your story, where you've seen a, a person come to Christ for the first time. And you see the great joy and the excitement in them. And, you're, and if, you're, if we're honest, for those of us who've been Christian for a while, we look at that and go, oh, I want that. That's exciting. That's awesome. But inevitably, maybe this is your story too, there comes a point where the rubber hits the road, where living the Christian life comes into conflict with some of the ways that we previously lived or some of the desires of our hearts or some of the ways that the world tells us is the right way to live. And at that moment, at the, the fork in the road, there's a choice either go this way and live authentically for Christ and put to death and say no to the ways of the world or the ways we used to live or to continue in the path of living how we lived in the habits that we had and saying no to Christ or trying to have one foot in either path which is just as bad and sometimes we get to this point some people get to this point and they feel like it's just too hard we can testify to the fact that trying to live the Christian life trying to be faithful to Christ in our own strength just doesn't work and perhaps perhaps for some of us this morning that's your story that's where you're at this morning 
Maybe you're at that fork in the road and you're wondering whether this sinful habit or this lifestyle, or this desire is going to overcome you. Maybe you've lived your life always chasing money or material goods um, and, and you find yourself wrestling because that was your functional God, lowercase g. Or for others of us, maybe we've been living the Christian life and we love Jesus and we want to see him glorified in our lives and yet this is one sin that just keeps chipping away at our heels. This one sin that we just can't seem to shake. We feel powerless to overcome. Maybe for some of us, you know, we, maybe we've been in the dating life and, and we've uh, dated someone and we've made compromises that have taken us further and further away from where God would want us to be and we feel powerless to do anything about it. Or maybe it's addictions to pornography or a love of gossip. Maybe it's powerlessness to, feeling powerless to tame the tongue in, uh, in how we speak. Maybe it's root idols of comfort or power uh, or, or control or, um, or, or comfort that makes us struggle, that makes us go, oh, this is hard. You know, being married for, for two months, I'll be honest, one of the things I've learned about myself is self-centeredness is a real thing. Uh, and I don't think you need to be married to know that. Anyone who's had any kind of friendship or relationship knows how innately bent in on ourselves we are. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm like, I don't know how to overcome this. I don't know how to, to put to death myself and, and love my wife uh, as Christ would want me to love her, right? Sometimes that powerless and that, that, that sense of like, I can't do this can be really strong, or for others of us, maybe we're going through a difficult season at the moment. Maybe it's a relational breakdown. Or maybe it's a loss of a dream that we had. Maybe it's the pain of wanting children and not being able to conceive. Maybe it's the pain of watching your child walk down a path that's scary. Wherever we find our struggle today, sometimes we can res resonate with the feeling of being powerless. But this morning, the, the, the encouragement is that God is the one who strengthens. He doesn't save us and then ask us to find the strength from within. He promises to give us that power. And that's what Paul is praying for. And we too can pray that God, by his spirit, would strengthen us on a heart level. To enable us to live lives that are faithful to him. To put to death sin. To put to death the things or the ways that we've previously lived. And stand firm in how God wants us to live. That's our first point this, this morning, the substance of the prayer. Paul is reminding us, he's telling the church in Ephesus, and by extension us, that God is the one who strengthens. The power to overcome sin, the power to live the Christian life, the power to remain steadfast to him is all from God. He's the one that does that work. Which then brings us to the second point this morning, the confidence. What gives Paul and, and, and indeed us the confidence to even pray a prayer like this? Because if you're honest, and, and as I said, I'm in that boat too, sometimes when you're experiencing that feeling of powerlessness, coming to God itself can be hard. Feeling like knowing that, yes, God can do this, but actually coming to Him and praying can be hard. It can be hard to have the confidence that this prayer is even worth it, that it's more than just Christian jargon. When you feel like sin is winning or that you're never going to overcome this battle or that this temptation or this trial is going to win the day, it can be hard to pray and to actually mean it. I think sometimes we need to be reminded of the reason or the basis for a prayer like this. And Paul gives us two of his own uh, in this verse. And you could summarize by saying that his confidence was based on God's um, character and God's actions. Or in other words, who God was and what he has done and is currently doing. And that's what we're going to look at this morning for a moment. And we'll start with the latter one, what God is, has done and what he is doing. Look at how the, the passage that we read starts. He says, for this reason, which means he's, he's looking back on something. Something's given that reason, right? And as I said, it's not 
It's more likely that it's chapter 2 and chapter 1 because that's how he starts chapter 3 before he goes on the sidebar. And so what he's saying is that the reason he's referring to is the the stuff that he's unpacked in chapters 1 and 2. The truth that at one point in time we were alienated from God. We had no right standing with him. We had no way to be in relationship to him. Our, Our sin had separated us from him. And he says in chapter 2, verse 13, he says that it's because of Christ, uh, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's justified lang- justification language. He's, he's re- relying on the fact that God is the one who's justified. He's given us right standing. That's all the things we looked at in chapters 1 and 2. But also he's looking at what God has said he is currently doing. You know, at the end of chapter 2, Paul says that we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God, by His Spirit, lives by His Spirit. That's sanctification language. That's current language. That's present tense. That God has not only justified us, namely given us right standing, but God is in the process of growing us more and more into His likeness. That's the heart of God. God wants us to not just save us and let us be, but to see us grow and become increasingly conformed into His image. Paul is saying that because we know that God has united us to himself, that he is in us and that we are in him, and because we know that God is in the process of um, making us more like him, we can pray that God would strengthen us with his power. Praying for strength is not asking God for a favor. It's asking God to do what he's already said he wants to do. It's asking God to continue the work that he's already started. You want to know what the, one of the main things of God's will for your life is? Is to see you conformed increasingly into his image. He's the one that wants to do that work. He's the one that is currently doing that work. And so really when we pray, we're praying and we're asking that God will do what he said he already wants to and is doing. That's such great news for us, church, this morning. That God hasn't just saved us and left us to our own devices, but that he's wanting to sanctify us also. To see us increasingly reflect his heart and his character. And when we know these and remember these two beautiful truths, we remember that praying for strength is praying, that God, praying for God to do what he's already started and wants to do. But secondly, Paul relies on the character of God, who God is. And it's important for us to remember that the reason we can pray this prayer is not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Look at what he says in, um, in the start of our passage. He says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, the, the New King James or the King James Version translates a little bit differently saying, um, from whom the whole family in heaven on earth is named. And that really gives us a deeper understanding of the connection in chapter 2. Because in chapter 2, he said, you who were once often been walking into the family. And so what he's talking about is not necessarily the universal fatherhood of God, that God is somehow the, the father of all humanity per se, but he's relying or honing in on the fact that God is the father of the, the, the uh, Christian family. God is the father of those who, are, who belong to him. God is the one who's over all these things. God is the one. He's the head. He's the father of the family of faith. He's the one that's in control. He's the great conductor of all the stories of redemption and salvation in humanity, and he's also the architect of every individual salvation story he's the great and glorious father the one who's rich in mercy the kind one the compassionate one the creator the grace giver paul is recognizing the god that he's kneeling before is the one uh, the one through whom everything comes from and everything ultimately submits to there is no sin there is no circumstance there's no power that god is not over or has ability over 
the confidence and the basis to seek these things is because of who God is. God is the God who's over all. And that's great news for us, church, this morning. Because, again, for many of us, when we, when we feel the need to, to pray for strength or we're struggling, it's a good reminder to remind us that the God we're coming for is the one who is all-powerful. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, that's the God and that's the power that we're, coming, uh, we're asking God to give us to overcome sin. Sin will not have the final word. Doubt will not have the final word. The enemy will not have the final word. Jesus will. God will because he's over all things. He's the ultimate powerful one. And that's our second point this morning. We ought to let the truth of who God is and what he has already done and what he's currently doing and said he wants to do, give us the confidence to come before him, to come with vulnerability, with humility and say, God, I need you. I need you every moment. I need you. I need you to give me the strength to even pray the next words of this prayer and ask for strength for this time. Which then brings us to our final, third and final point, the goal. Where, where does Paul say in the text that this is headed? What's the, the end goal? Well, he says uh, in our passage, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, initially when we read that, it might sound a little bit confusing, right? I mean, if you're a Christian or you've been a Christian for a while, you know, okay, well, when we come to faith, the spirit comes into us, right? We, we are filled with the spirit. The spirit comes into us. He indwells us. He's given as a, as a seal or as a, um, a deposit, if you like. Is Paul saying that that's not the case? No. He's not talking about the fact whether the Spirit actually is inside us or not, but the, the word he's using is the word dwell. And to dwell conveys more than just transitory existence, but permanence, to inhabit the heart of his people, to govern the heart of his people. It means a word that, it's a word that means to settle permanently. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I, I trust it will be helpful. Um, a couple of weeks ago over New Year's, uh, we went away uh, with some dear friends of ours for, uh, for the weekend, and we set at an Airbnb, right, which most people, uh, young people especially, we, we do all the time because it's apparently cheaper. Um, and in every, when I say at an Airbnb, there always seems to be one or two doors or rooms that are locked, right? You go there and there's like, oh, why, why can't I enter into this room? And every time I look at that, it reminds me that this is not mine. This place is not mine. It doesn't belong to me. There are some areas that are off limits. I'm using this place for a short period of time, but someone else owns it. Someone else governs that place. I'm not in control. This is, I don't dwell there to use Paul's language. Or to illustrate a different way, Maybe many of us can relate to this. Maybe if we're renting in a rental place uh, here in Sydney, we might live for more than just a weekend there. We might stay for six, nine, 12 months, 24 months. But we know the struggle, and Caitlin and I know the struggle very well, of wanting to just hang something on the wall and you can't. Or wanting to change the, the ugly color of the backsplash on the, in the kitchen. Or um, wanting to, to make some kind of minor change and you can't because it's not yours right? You may dwell there, sorry, you may live there for a period of time, but you do not dwell there to use Paul's language. You do not ultimately own it. And the point in both of these scenarios to use the language of the text is that we don't dwell in either of these places. 
And what Paul is trying to make, uh, make clear is that Christ wants to not just live for a moment, not just take up some sort of residence there, but to dwell, to have permanence, to have access to all rooms, to, to, to be able to change and conform us into his image increasingly each and every day, to make changes and transform us from the inside out, to sanctify us, to use that language. In one of the commentaries that I was using that was really helpful by a guy called William McDonald called the Believer's Commentary, this is what it says about this particular aspect. He says, the Lord takes up his personal residence in a believer at the time of conversion, John 14, Revelation 3. But that's not the subject of this prayer. Here is, it is not a question of his being in the believer, but rather his feeling at home there. He is a permanent resident in every saved person, but this is a request that he might have full access to every room and closet that he might not be grieved by the sinful words, thoughts, motives, and deeds, that might um, and that he might enjoy unbroken fellowship with the believer. That's the goal. The prayer that uh, Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus, that we can pray for ourselves and for each other, is that God, the Creator and Father, would strengthen us to live lives that are faithful to him and, and enable us to give him all entire access, to transform us from the inside out. So we're not just trying to obey with outward actions, but our heart's desires too would be changed and the actions will follow. Church, there we have it. We have God has, has put there clear as day his desire. He wants to dwell in each and every one of our hearts. He wants to have full access. He wants to be truly, as the word conveys, Lord over every heart. But church, do we want that this morning? And I want to finish by challenging us to consider what kind of relationship we have to God in that regard. You know, for some of us, maybe our relationship to God is more, of a, more akin to that of an Airbnb, where between 10 a.m. and 12 p.m. on a Sunday, God has access, but then throughout the week, he's, he's out of sight, out of mind. We live and do things the way we want to do it. We, we live and we govern ourselves and make all the decisions completely um, ignorant or, or not interested in what God wants to do. We spend our time the way we want to spend our time. We want our careers or our families or our friendships to be governed by our particular desires. Perhaps you come to church because your parents make you or out of some sort of other obligation to be here. But outside of these times, Christ does not factor into your decision-making into the way you live. That might be some of us this morning. For others of us, and maybe for more of us, it might be more akin to a renter, where we've experienced fellowship with Christ and we love Christ, but there's still elements of our hearts that we haven't fully surrendered to Him. There's still certain things that we want to, um, to keep control of, where we don't want to say, God, you are Lord over it. We haven't fully surrendered all areas. We want God to be Lord, but we don't want Him to affect how we change, affect or change how we spend our money. We want Jesus as Lord, but we don't want him to restrict us in our dating or in our relationships or in um, our sexual desires. We want Jesus to be Lord, but we don't want him to change our career plans. We want Jesus to be Lord, but we don't want to give up our sleep-ins and our brunch dates to worship God's people on a Sunday morning. We want Jesus to be Lord, but there's certain rooms that are still locked, certain access that we haven't given. Church, I want to encourage you this morning. Our passage is clear. Christ wants to make your heart his dwelling. Maybe if Andy and the team want to jump up. That's the heart of Christ. That's the heart of God. God wants to see us transformed by His power, by the Spirit at work in, in our hearts, so that He may dwell in our hearts. And as we come to a close, I want to encourage us to, or challenge us to, to think about where our hearts are at. Because you know what? That's actually a really scary thought. 
to give full access, to say to God, you can do anything you want with my life, that you can change any aspect of my life, to be incredibly vulnerable, to give Jesus full access, that's difficult. But church, I want us to come back to what we said in point number two, to remember who God is and what he's already done. That Jesus came to this earth and made himself ultimately vulnerable for you. That he lay and he hung on that cross to be able to, to enable us to be reconciled into a relationship with him. Church, I want to maybe just spend a minute or two to, to bow our heads and to, to ask God, ask God by his spirit to examine our hearts and show us areas that aren't fully surrendered to him. To show us areas that he wants to change us, he wants to challenge us and he wants to um, renew us by his work and by his power. Let's remember the God who loved us so much, who desired us so much and sent his own son is the same God that wants to dwell and create permanent, have permanent um, residence in our hearts. Why don't we take a moment or two, maybe as the band uh, sings and uh, just to reflect on this and then we'll close it off this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have rescued us. We thank you that we who were once alienated have now been welcomed into your household. Lord, we thank you for that amazing reality. And we thank you that you are the one that is doing the work in sanctifying us. We thank you, Lord, that you're the one that promises to give us strength, that promises to enable us to, to live this Christian life. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen each and every one of our hearts. Father, I pray for any one of us who is struggling at the moment with a particular sin um, or, or, or struggling with a situation in life that's making them discouraged. Father, I pray that your strength, that Lord, out of and according to your glorious riches, that you would strengthen their hearts. You would strengthen our hearts. Father, that you ultimately may be given the glory, that by your Spirit, we would get a new sense of how deep and how wide, how high your love is. Father, I pray that you would do that work in our hearts this morning. 
Father, I pray, Lord, for anyone that's been challenged this morning, particularly about an area of their life that they haven't fully surrendered. Father, I pray for strength to continue thinking about that, to even come before you and to eventually surrender that as well. Father, I thank you that you're a God who has not just saved us, as amazing as that is, and left us to our own devices, but you've given us your spirit that indwells us. And we pray that by your spirit, you'd strengthen us to live the life that you've called us to live, Father. Father, we thank you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.